to hear is based on eyewitness testimony and evidence collected before, during, and after an actual paranormal investigation. The individual's names and locations have been changed to protect the identities of all persons involved. We've all experienced a dream that seems too real, a room that seems too dark, a presence when we know we're alone. We exist in a world of many realities where the impossible is probable and the unknown can be known. This is the realm of the weird. Going through the day's mail, I came across a letter that told a curious tale. It seems that a gentleman in a nearby city had attended one of my lectures and found it to be interesting. He explained that although he did not believe in ghosts and hauntings, he couldn't help but feel that something or someone not of our reality was inhabiting his home. In one portion of his letter, he wrote, It seems as if someone keeps making me look at the floor. I know it sounds strange, looking at the floor, but it's almost as if someone or something is forcing me to stare at the floor. The man's letter contained other intriguing but not unusual happenings that tend to occur during what people think of as a traditional haunting. Small objects would vanish, only to appear in a different place. Cupboards would slam plates would rattle, stairs would creak. But I found that I had become fascinated with the statements about gazing at the floor. I wrote a quick letter telling the man that I was interested in his case and that I'd like to meet with him outside of his home to interview him and perhaps begin an investigation. Two days later, I received a phone call from Mr. Jacobson, and we agreed to meet at a local coffee shop that weekend. On Saturday, when I arrived at our meeting, he was waiting for me. Phil Jacobson was younger looking than I expected for a 60-year-old, about six foot tall, salt and pepper hair that was starting to thin. He wore glasses that had probably been in style 20 years ago. He greeted me with a warm smile and a hearty handshake. I sat down and after exchanging some casual conversation, he agreed to be recorded from my files and I began my interview. Okay, anytime you're ready. Well, I recently moved back into my home. I bought the house many years ago with my wife, Samantha. Well, Samantha was killed in an automobile accident a few years later. I was in a position where I could move to a new house and rent out the one Sam and I bought, and that's what I did. I rented the property for many years, and these were really tired, so I figured that enough time passed and I could move back into my and Sam's house. And strange uh, things have been happening since then? Well, a little bit creaking floors and the like, but I chalked that up to living alone and it being quiet all the time. Strange thing is, like I wrote you in my letters, I can't not look at the floor. I really believe sometimes, not to sound crazy or nothing, but it feels like something is making me look at that damn floor. I'll be standing in the kitchen cooking, and when I go to leave, I feel this weight around my neck and have to look at the floor. It's the damnedest thing. I ended the interview and told Phil that I would take his case. 
I gathered some personal information from him and explained that, because of my research methods, it could be weeks before I investigated his home. He told me to call him if I needed anything, and we went our separate ways. I spent the next two weeks researching Phil. I contacted friends and family friends, checked out his work history, genealogy, police records, and all the information I was gathering pointed at the fact that Phil was a straightforward, sober, intelligent, honest person. All of the information, including that dealing with Samantha's death, all checked out. The following week was filled with property records and contacting Phil's former tenants. According to the tenants that I could get a hold of, not a single one of them had ever experienced or felt anything weird happen to them while they were living in the house. I contacted Phil and asked him if I could come over and do an investigation of the property. When I arrived, I asked Phil if there was any place off-limits or dangerous for me to go in the house. He said no and gave me full access. After checking and photographing every room, cupboard, and closet, I asked to see the basement. Phil told me that there was only a crawl space, but it spanned the entire house. It was small, he said, so I would have to literally crawl around down there. I went down, and for a crawl space, it was surprisingly clean. Some wood in the back corner, a few old light bulbs, but nothing strange. When I left the crawl space, I asked Phil if I could come back at a later date and do an EVP session, and after explaining what EVP was to him, he said yes. A week later, I performed a five-hour EVP session with zero results. Weeks passed, and I felt the case getting cold. Driving around one day, I realized I was near the cemetery where Samantha was buried, I stopped at a grocery store and bought a small bouquet of flowers. When I found her grave, I placed the flowers down and then sat and spoke out loud to myself, telling the entire tale of my dealings with Phil. It was more for me than the woman buried there. I headed home. After dinner and reading, I decided I needed a change of scenery. I grabbed all my notes on Phil's case along with my tape recorder and decided to get some coffee from the 24-hour diner down the street from my home. It was quarter to four in the morning on a Tuesday, so the restaurant was basically empty. I found a booth near the back, ordered my coffee, and started going over my notes. What's this? The voice startled me. I had been so caught up in reading that I hadn't noticed the approach of the young lady now standing in front of me, questioning the organized mess on my table. She seemed to be early twenties, sandy blonde hair, short, simple, with bangs. I never know how people will react when I tell them I'm investigating paranormal phenomena, so I just told her I was studying. She asked if she could sit down and talk while she waited for her carry-out order. I offered her a seat, and she immediately started playing with the tape recorder. To be honest, I regretted letting her sit down. She asked if I was a journalist or an author. She asked a lot of questions before I finally said that I was researching something that may be paranormal. She reacted with a smile and asked if I wanted to interview her about her ghost story. I begrudgingly said yes, thinking that her takeout order would arrive soon and I could get back to my research. Tape me, she said. And again, I agreed. Okay, tell me your ghost story. Well, one time I lived at this place, and whenever it was quiet, I could hear little chimes. Uh-huh. And it was really strange. I mean, 
mean, other people heard it, but I could never figure out where this little chime sound, like little bells or something, where that sound was coming from. Well, did you look outside? Oh, I looked everywhere. I thought I was going insane. And like I said, it was scary to me. That's all that ever happened. Well, here's the kicker. It wasn't a ghost. Okay. I was washing the floor in the kitchen, and I started hearing the chimes again, and I moved over, still on my knees, and it was coming from the heat vent. So I took the cover off, and there was a little necklace in there. It was kind of stuck on a screw. It must have fallen in there by another renter. When the furnace would turn on, it would clink against the metal sides of the vent. Oh, my food's up there. She stood abruptly, thanked me for listening, and left. I returned to the papers scattered in front of me, but I couldn't shake the feeling of a new idea starting to organize itself in my brain. I gathered my papers, paid my bill, and went home to sleep on it. I lay in bed restless, unable to sleep. The girl in the restaurant's story had been about jewelry and not a ghost, but it was the fact that from nowhere someone had told me a story that involved a floor. When I woke in the morning, the idea had almost fully formed itself in my brain, so I called Phil and asked if I could come over his house. He agreed. After I arrived at Phil's house and we exchanged pleasantries, I asked him if I could go back into the crawl space and look around more thoroughly. He agreed, so armed with my flashlight, I made my way back into the dark undercarriage of the house. It of course looked exactly the same as it had a month earlier, but I was looking at it in a new way. I pulled my body across the dirt floor further and further under the house toward the small pile of debris in the corner. There was some old crown molding and a Pepsi bottle, but that's not what I was interested in. When I reached the front of the house, I realized that my thoughts were right. Above me was some furnace ductwork. I tapped on it and called out, Phil? Is there a heat vent in the floor up there where I'm tapping? No, came the reply which I already knew to be true. I worked my way back to the entrance of the crawl space and told Phil that I believed over the years someone had rerouted the furnace heat vents and put new flooring over the old register in the living room. I asked permission to go back under and pull it apart. When he questioned me as to why, I told him that I thought something is under the floor in the ductwork. He told me to go ahead, and so I had him get me a hammer and other tools and I returned to that spot under the house. As I started to disassemble the ductwork, I held my breath, hoping that my idea was right. Within minutes, I knew. I saw a small flash as something fell from the now unattached duct. I pushed my hand around on the dirt floor and found a little silver necklace. My mind reeled. Putting the coincidences together, all of the little events and pieces of information that led me here... I exited the crawl space, brushed off the dirt, and asked Phil to sit down. This was the moment of truth. Do you recognize this? I asked, holding out the necklace. As his eyes filled with tears, I knew he did. It belonged to Samantha, he said, and took the necklace from my hands. He twisted and turned it in the sunlight. Tears were now running down his face. How did you know, he asked me. I tried to explain all of the bits and pieces, but I don't think he was listening. I told him I'd be in touch, we hugged, and I took leave so that he could be alone with his memories. Driving home, I went over all the events again, whether or not something paranormal had happened. 
I smiled and I decided that it didn't matter. A week passed by and I returned to my other cases and my normal paranormal life. One day in my mailbox a letter from Phil appeared, thanking me for everything that I'd done and how he no longer felt a presence in his home. But I couldn't focus on what he had written. Chills ran through my body. Along with the letter he had attached a photo. A photo taken decades ago. A photo of him and Samantha. The same Samantha that had sat with me one night and told me the story of a necklace inside of a diner in the realm of the weird. Weird.